Hello! <laughs> there we are. Hello everyone. Welcome to A Reason for Hope. We're glad that you're joining us wherever you have stumbled upon us. We're glad that you there you are there. A Reason for Hope is now a long live broadcast, Lord willing. Uh, that is guided along for the most part by your questions on the Bible, although with everything going on in Israel and around the world, we've been doing a lot of updates and sharing that with you. But you can send your questions in and uh, we have guests here that will love to uh, dig into the word to find the answers to those so if it's uh, maybe a verse or passage of scripture uh, specifically that you've kind of come across and you're confused about what it means how we should translate it and apply it maybe something you're going through in your own life um, that you'd like to you know know how to honor the lord with decisions you make and you're not quite sure how to do that you'd like some biblical perspective on that could be a question along those lines as well maybe even of course things that are going on in the world which are many um, very pertinent uh, happenings going on, might be questions about that, maybe even other religions, other worldviews as they relate to the Bible and Christianity, anything along those lines, you can send those questions on in, and again, we'll try and get to those questions uh, today. If you missed the show yesterday, uh, Pastor Scott did an amazing update with everything going on in Israel and all the implications of biblical prophecy. It was, it was really good, it was the whole show, um, just mind-blowing information. Uh, some prophecy in, in the word that just relates along with that uh, over Damascus and things of this nature. Um, so check it out yesterday. You should you can find it on Facebook. You can find it on YouTube. Just look in the archives. We'll actually should try and post that on our website, CalvaryChristianFellowship.com as well, because it was really really good. And then bless you, Sean. And then tomorrow night, our, our, yes, tomorrow night Wednesday, our Wednesday evening service here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. Pastor Scott has also given a prophecy update as well. So we stream that live, or of course you can come along. Uh, to join us here at Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson. I'll be just letting you know more about our ministry in just a moment and the different platforms. But uh, like I said, you can send your questions in. I'll be going over those platforms in a moment. My name's Dave Robson. I'm your host today. I'll be just fielding all those questions and doing all the tech over here and keeping my eyes on all those platforms. With us today, it's Tuesday. You know what that means. It's Bow Day. That's right. That's right. That's Welcome, right. Awesome to be in. And it's going to be um, pretty hard to follow up that amazing uh, show yesterday. I, um, I listened to that one and um, just um, a lot of good stuff, like you yeah. mentioned. Um, uh, we'll we'll try to kind of do a little bit of an update today as well. Um, but uh, it really is uh, one of those shows that you want to kind of send that out to people or share on your social media platform, uh, just because there's a really good, um, thorough overview. Yeah of a lot of things um so please uh check it out on our reason for hope youtube page yeah facebook uh, as well facebook as well yeah it was october sure 9th i know on the radio we're not live with you so it was it was the show from october 9th um that scott did that update you know what it i was, was thinking really too is like there's a lot of uh you know churches probably that don't talk much about prophecy i was thinking the same thing and yeah. i was thinking that must or be islam yeah, yeah. Or islam, yeah or just you know relevant yeah. Stuff. Like if I was the pastor of a church, I'd be, <laughs> yeah. man, stuff's going on. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the stuff? <laughs> like I wonder I wonder like I wonder what it's like to go to a church where you walk in and there's actually no talk at talk all. It. Yeah. Like no mention at all about what's going on and how it relates to the Bible. Right. Um we're on the opposite end of the Yeah, we're spectrum. on the opposite end. Yeah, we we actually uh like to talk about the Bible and uh <laughs> and <Yes. laughs> <laughs> fancy that and yeah. yeah and and uh most of your bible if you don't know yet uh most of your bible 
is uh, prophecy. Right. And I know when I was, you know, that that stoner kid growing up and just excited uh, uh, about, you know, music and stuff like that. Um, you know, when I first started reading the Bible, one of the things that caught me so uh, it made it so interesting was all the prophecy that was in it. And so, um, you know, most of our Bible is prophetic. And so, uh, you know, as a church, you should be pretty, if you're into the Bible, you're yep. going to be talking about the subject. Right. Yep. Yeah. Comes up all the time. In there. Yeah, That's absolutely. Great. Well, again, Bo, thank you for being here. Yeah, it's fun. On this Tuesday with us also, Pastor Sean Richards, of course. How you doing today? Grieving. Grieving? Yeah. Yeah. Lots to grieve about. Yes. Yeah, yep. there sure is. And we'll be getting more Heavy stuff. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Well, before we move uh, forward, I'll let you know just uh, different ways that you can join us, just in case there's any technical issues on the platform or you want to share us around or, or connect with us further. As I mentioned, Reason for Hope is a live broadcast with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here in Tucson, Arizona, Mountain Standard Time. If you're in the Tucson area, you're, you're more than welcome to come to our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. It's a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. We're near Prince and I-10 uh, on the west side of the freeway uh, there. So you can get more information at calvarychristianfellowship.com or reach out to us if you have any questions about that. But uh, again, calvarychristianfellowship.com is our website. You can have a click around there, see what's going on. But if you go to that watch live tab, that take you, takes you to our live page. Or if you type in ccftucson.online.church, that will take you straight there as well. So we're live there right now. Uh, you can sign in with a username of your choice and then uh, there's a chat function where you can interact with us or send us your questions on the Bible or, uh, you know, questions pertaining to what's going on right now in the world and Israel. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show and you'll see um, a schedule of upcoming events as well. We're live on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash Tucson, or just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. You'll see that picture of Pastor Scott there. And we're live there. Um, don't forget to, to like and share. We'd appreciate that. It's a great way to share the ministry. And as we mentioned, you can scroll back through archives. Um, as we mentioned yesterday's show, October 9th was a great one, a great update on the goings on in Israel. So you might want to check that out if you missed it. Um, but it's another way you can send your question on the chat function that's uh, attached to the video where we're streaming live right now on Facebook. Uh, we have an app for your mobile device as well, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store. And we have a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. If you have those devices, add us as a channel, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. We're live on YouTube. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel there, A Reason for Hope on YouTube. It's a great place for archives as well. As we mentioned, if you go to that live tab, anytime we've been live, it archives there for you. So you can scroll back through time and uh, catch up on a show that you missed. Or you might want to recap on a question there. Sean usually gives uh, puts a little... Uh, indication of what what uh, subjects we uh, covered so you can check that out and our services are there here at Calvary Christian Fellowship as well and other events we try to stream everything live from memorials to uh, like our men's breakfast we we stream the uh, not the eating part but the uh, teaching part <laughs> you can tune in and watch men eat breakfast on it no you can't you can't do that but lots of events we try and stream them live these days Ever since COVID, we do that. So anyway, YouTube, A Reason for Hope. It's a great resource. Once again, don't forget to like, subscribe, click on the notification bell, all that good stuff. That would be great. Uh, Pastor Scott is on Twitter. If you're on Twitter or X or however they're branding themselves these days, Scott R4H, that's Scott letter R number four letter H on Twitter, especially right now. I'm sure he's posting like crazy all things going on and updates as things um, uh, transpire. 
in the Middle East. And so follow along with him on there, uh, Scott R4H, if you're on Twitter. We're on Rumble as well. It's a kind of a newer, relatively newer platform. We're not live there, but we post videos there. Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. If you're on Rumble, you can add us there. And our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com. You can email us your question there as well. If you're joining us on the radio, we're glad that you are. Please drive safely if you're on your drive time. If you're on Reach Radio or one of the other radio affiliates. Keep in mind that you're listening to the last show that we did uh, pre-recorded, so we're not live on the radio. We are live on all those other platforms I mentioned. Uh, but keep that email address in mind, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Shoot us an email there with your question, and we'll try and get to that on our next show. So again, whatever platform you've joined us on, you're more than welcome to send your questions in. We're going to do a bit of an intro, I think, and then try and get to some of those questions. Apologies that we didn't get to questions yesterday, but like I say, it was well worth um, hearing the update from Scott. It was really just a, a great show, great information there. Go check it out. Well, before we go any further, Bo, would you like to pray for us? Yes, absolutely. That'd be great. Tuesdays, I'm in. It's Bo Pray Day. Bo Pray Day, yeah, that's right. It's the let's, Bo Sabbath. Well, let's pray. Father, we want to pray uh, in Jesus' name for the peace of Jerusalem, and we want to pray for Israel. We want to pray for those that are in Hamas, and we pray, Father, uh, for repentance. We pray, Father, that their eyes would be open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, we pray that you would break uh, the strongholds of uh, false ideologies and, and, and gods, and Lord, you would uh, rule and reign in, in the hearts, that people would know the freedom of coming to you. Um, and so we're asking you to move uh, in a wonderfully uh, gracious way um, to those that uh, have caused such harm uh, during this time. And uh, we're praying for your mercy to be lifted up on high. So do that work in, 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 uh, in the nations. We pray that you would um, just continue to um, speak to us and help us to discern your word uh, in the show. And we pray that people would be blessed and edified and encouraged to know that you do have a purpose and a plan, a direction. And, and Lord, you will be glorified, and we can trust you. We can be still and know that you are God. In Jesus' name, mm. amen. Amen to that. We can trust him. Cool. That's good to know. Yeah, well, be, before, um, you know, we've got a lot to talk, to talk about, but for anyone who's kind of new, like you mentioned, there's some churches you can walk into, and they maybe don't even talk about Israel and prophecy and that kind of thing. So they yeah. just be doing regular, you know, messages from parts of the Bible. But yep. why Israel? Someone that's new to that, why is it so significant? Why are we so interested in the goings-on in Israel? Why is, you yeah, know, we know that God question. chose that nation. Why did he choose that nation? Yeah, let me just say this before I hand it off to Sean, um, and that is a lot of people, when they go to a church or uh, maybe even pick up a Bible, uh, many people have actually divorced um, themselves from uh, a lot of the books of the Bible. So the Bible consists of 66 books, or the Protestant Bible, what we have. Uh, many of those books are found in the Old Testament, mm. and there's more Old Testament books than there are New Testament books. But many people have not bothered to read the Old Testament, and many churches have not even bothered to teach the Old Testament. And so because of that, um, you just have a general lack of understanding of the Bible in general. Yeah. And, and uh, so because of that, we have a very large um, 
biblically illiterate population mm. where people just do not understand uh, uh, the Bible. And, 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 I, and it, it's, uh, to me, it blows me away because you really just need to pick it up and read from Genesis on, and you're going to gravitate, you're, you're going to get it. You're going to go, oh, I, I understand what's going on. Because yep. um, the Bible, the Old Testament, is the history of Israel. Um, and in a lot of people, you, you got to understand that um, Israel didn't start off, right, Sean, as this nation. It started off very small, particularly maybe just kind of a guy. <laughs> One dude. <laughs> you know, which mo- most people I, I don't think get. But what does the Bible have to say about Israel in general? Yeah, the reason why we as Christians care about the state of Israel, not just today, but the principle of God's people and our attitude towards them being tied into our relationship with God is for three reasons. First of all, Israel was used by God as essentially a template for his dealings with mankind, not just that he physically incarnated as an ethnic Jew, but understanding that of all the nations that would be blessed as a result of this work that God would do in Israel, the same standard that we take for granted today of God's mercy, God's grace, God's times of correction, and always defaulting to restoration were first laid out with Israel as Exhibit A. And you can read this in the book of Romans Yeah, God didn't need to show himself to Israel, but he did. Right, and in showing himself to Israel, the whole world now knows what this God is like. That's right. The only God who put his credentials on the table, the only God who appeared in a moment of verifiable history, did so not just as an ethnic Jew, but has done so continuously throughout Jewish history. The second reason, not just because God's personally involved in them, that they're an abject lesson to us of God's nature, but it's also important to understand that God has emotionally invested himself in the well-being of the nation he set aside for a singular purpose. When we talk about, and you can note this in passages like Zechariah chapter 3 and in Genesis chapter 12, that if you go against Israel, not just physically, but intellectually, emotionally, God describes that as you harming the apple of his eye. That's the singular uh, pupil iris in the middle of it, the most sensitive part of the organ. You know, you get uh, those little eye exams where they puff smoke in your eye and something that's very Air. irritating because it's very, very sensitive. Mm-hmm. And understanding that God's attitude towards the Jews is one of direct personal assault, that I will bless those who bless you, referring to Abraham and those who would share in this blessing to his descendants, but I will also curse those who curse you. Every Christian who has the fear of God, any person who wants to be not cursed by God, anyone who wants to think in terms of a relationship, I don't want to deliberately do the sort of things that would upset, offend, or harm the trust and the connection that I have with this person going after or going against or cursing the Jewish people would be first on God's list. And if we understand that, then the attitude of every Christian should not only be anti-anti-Semitic, but going out of their way in every single situation they have, every opportunity they have, to be a blessing to God's people. Do I say that because they're infallible? No, I'm saying that we should seek the kind of 
I guess, positive relationship with them for the same reason we'd want a positive relationship with God, because to go against them is to go against Him. He's personally and emotionally invested themselves in them. And just like anyone else that He would have a relationship with, you go after someone's kids, you go after someone's wife, you go after someone's mother, family, it's the same kind of defensiveness that would be warranted mm-hmm. when God is answering for the harm done to His people. Let it never be said among those that call themselves followers of him because Jesus as you said was an ethnic Jew God chose of all the nations to enter this world physically through through the descendants of Abraham Isaac and Jacob who was later renamed Israel now that's what brings us to the third point when we ask what makes Israel so special we talked about what God did we talked about what God thinks but what is it about them that should matter to anyone or anything apart from the fact that they're just there Well, even if you remove God's direct involvement from the equation, even if you remove God's promises from the equation, there stands to reason one foundation that makes them separate from any other, and that is that he made them a promise. That of all the nations that not only have come and gone throughout the ages, not only the cultural identities that have been absorbed to the nations around them or exterminated as a result of warlords rampaging throughout the world as they're just been prone to do, Deuteronomy chapter 7 lays out explicitly why they are called by the term God's chosen people. We talked about the incarnation, we talked about the fact that they're a template for us, but he said specifically to them, I did not choose you because you were greater in number or mightier or wiser or any of the other things. You were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you and that he would keep the promise that he made to your ancestors. And if you read the book of Romans chapter 11, it notes again, the promises of God are irrevocable. So if we want to share in that promise, the common salvation that Jesus himself affirms, salvation is of the Jews, meaning not that you have to become a Jew. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 4. Right. If that's then the case, then what do we understand Israel to be? Not just God's, for all intents and purposes, showcasing of himself to this world. Not just the means by which God entered this world, but the heralds of his promises. And that anyone who comes to him does so through them, specifically through him. And he stands with and for his people his countrymen, his fellow Israelites. So understand that when we are grieving for the conditions and the events taking place in Israel, we're not doing so just because lives have been lost. That's always a tragedy. We're not doing so just because evil has taken place. That's happening everywhere, more so now than ever. The reason why we grieve in particular the well-being or lack thereof of the Hebrew people is because our God has emotionally invested himself in them. And if that is then the case, then those who share his heart should break whenever anything troubling, anything slanderous, anything even unfortunate happens to them. Mm-hmm. And that's also why we read, even in going as far as the book of Revelation chapter 12, that the foundational, I guess, policy of Satan's work in this world, described through this symbolic vision of 
a reference to the book of Daniel chapter 7, this picture of a dragon with seven heads and ten horns, who's explained in the chapter to be the devil and Satan, that when the child that was to be born, who would rule all nations with the rod of iron, quoting Psalm 2, a reference to Jesus, would do what? He would send all nations, represented through water, to consume Israel, to destroy them, to wipe them out, that, that would not only fail, but that his objective from that time on would be to go after her, that is Israel's offspring, and those who share the testimony of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So if you share the attitude of Satan, I don't think I need to finish that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Understand that. They have the heart of God. They share and are associated with the promises of God. They were the means by which God entered this world. Mm -hmm. And those that hate them are sharing the heart of the enemy. Yeah. That should stand enough on its own, but the point still goes forward. Why is it then that these sort of things are allowed to, quote-unquote, happen to Israel when God is so emotionally invested in them? And the fact of the matter is that we live in a world that not only has morals, but moral accountability that those who choose to do things with the freedom God has given them will be permitted to do so, but not unanswered for. So when we talk about, and we will, the lives that have been lost, the atrocities that have been committed, the slanderous reports that have fundamentally misrepresented Israel's attempts in not only answering for, but protecting their own borders against unapologetic and pure to the core evil, we're talking about people who aren't going to be struck with lightning, but will stand before the throne of God with scorn. And that is not a fate that we would wish on anyone, even someone like Ilan Omar. So when we're talking about these things, understand this, that God's preference, according to Ezekiel 33:11, is that the wicked should turn from their way and live, and that God's plea to the evil people in this world is for them not to be judged, a la 2 Peter chapter 3, but for them to be redeemed, for them to receive the gift of salvation that he provided, not just through the Jewish people, but through himself as an ethnic Jew. And that's why we not only grieve for the state of Israel, we also grieve for the state of Hamas, because while, yes, their lives are being lost, they now stand in judgment before a holy God. But those that are still alive and hiding behind the human shields that they use to protect themselves against their own actions and the consequences therein, what does that ultimately amount to? Their fundamental loyalty is to that of a false prophet, a man who claimed to be speaking for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but has institutionalized anti-Semitism as a mean of righteousness. And I believe it's in the book of Isaiah chapter, four, uh, chapter 5, excuse me, in verse 20. There's a woe pronounced to those who would call good evil and evil good. Yeah. And we have in this world not just ideologies like socialism, but religious systems like Islam that would call the extermination of the Jews God's service. Yeah, this is... Um this is uh, something that really disturbed me, is, um, and this was found uh, on an um, article by Dion Pierre, um, but it says, uh, the title of it is, By Any Means Necessary, Anti-Zionist College Students Cheer Hamas Massacre of Israelis. And it really caught me 
you know, weird, Dave, because I thought, gosh, man, this is on college campuses, you know, yeah. like going on. And I went to university, but it says across the U.S., dozens of college students groups declared solidarity with Hamas on Sunday, cheering the Palestinian terrorist group one day after it invaded Israel from its enclave in Gaza and murdered hundreds of Israelis and took dozens more captive in a shocking surprise attack. Mm. The scenes of Hamas terrorists abducting children and desecrating dead bodies have circulated worldwide and invoked global outrage. However, several chapters of Students of Justice in Palestine, or SJP, at places such as Brown University, the University of Maryland, Tufts University, the University of California at Los Angeles, aka UCLA, have described the attacks as a form of resistance demanding others accept our right to liberate our homeland by any means necessary. So additionally, 31 student groups at Harvard University issued a statement blaming Israel for the attack and accusing the Jewish state of operating an open-air prison in Gaza, in Gaza despite the Israeli military having withdrawn from the territory in 2005. And providing them state-of-the-art greenhouses yeah, and, and technology provided for them. That's important too. Yeah. A nation, quote-unquote, this open-air prison, that Israel, despite their repeated, the government that they elected was Hamas, someone sworn for the extermination of Israel in their charter, quoted from Sahil Bukhari, and they do what in return? They provide them, without charge, water, electricity, and security. Unless, of course, they send terrorists over their border to attack mm. Israeli civilians, which they have. Mm. So it's stunning, right? Um, the student said, we the un undersigned student organizations hold the Israeli regime entirely responsible for the unfolding violence, said the Harvard-Palestine Solidarity Committee. In the coming days, Palestinians will be forced to bear the full brunt of Israel's violence. So responding to the statement, Larry Summers, former U.S. Secretary of the Treasury under the Clinton administration and former president of Harvard University, criticized the student groups for justifying terrorist violence and called out the school's administration for not disavowing support for terrorism. So that's another interesting aspect is that you know, you would think like the student pre or the campus presidents would stand up and be like, hey, man. Like, now is not the time. <laughs> or even try to be diplomatic and say, look, I know there's two sides to this argument, but we do not support terrorism. No, yeah. they would outright say this is justified. Yeah, mm. it, it, and, and that's that's a bummer. that you, and, and it kind of carries this theme that the Bible, for Bible students, of course, the Bible says that the whole world, you know, is going to be, in a sense, drunk, mad. Uh, in a sense, yep. they're going to be mad in their heads. And, uh, and it's going to be around their views of Israel, right. which is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and we live in a time right now where there's a younger generation that doesn't remember Hitler, doesn't, doesn't right. even think much about Adolf Hitler, yeah. and they don't recall what happened. <clears throat> but here you have uh, had back in those days, you know, in the 30s and into the 40s, you had a German nation, very sophisticated <clears throat> nation, very intelligent nation. Um, and this is the scary thing, is a lot of people think university in academia and, and education automatically will make you smart. Right. Is moral. Going, is, yeah, it's going to make yeah. you moral right. and ethically yeah. 
know the right things, know the right basically. Thing. Yeah. And it's been shown over and over and over again that this is not the case. Yeah. That when you boast in academia being the answer and your intelligence being the answer, uh, we fall into uh, catastrophic failures. Yeah. An educated um, monster just makes him a more clever devil. That's right. Just unbelievable. And so, you know, the Bible says seeking to become wise, right? Seeking to become wise, they've become what? Fools. Yeah. Fools, right? And that's that's what it seems like, you know, we're doing once again, you know, the blind leading the blind, where uh, you see in the universities here that this is going on, where yeah. this is uh, this kind of leaven, if you will. Yeah. It just permeates, you know, um, where, yeah, you can have a view on on the Palestinian issues and, you know, but but call, but saying things like, hey, any means possible when the means that is going on is atrocious, mm -hmm. you know, burning kids. Yeah. I mean, setting them on fire. Unbelievable. Yeah. You know, you think of stuff like that and it just breaks your heart. You just go, what what who in their right mind yeah. would do something like that? You know? Even in this idea of wartime, you know, it just seems so barbaric. Yeah. And this wasn't even wartime. This right. was a declaration of war. A they attacked civilian right. targets. Right. Yeah. Going after civilian, not not going after the military. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, me being an, an ex-raver for all you out there listening, you know, I mean, uh, going to a lot of raves in Los Angeles and, um, you know, to hear that a rave just outside of the Gaza Strip mm -hmm. was infiltrated. And I think it was like uh, a couple hundred people or 200, 200 people yep. got shot. Yeah, People or, or came killed. in on paragliders and just opened fire on a bunch of kids. Yeah, yeah. just raving, you know? Yep. And uh, I think, gosh, man, I've been in a lot of raves where you have no, you know, I mean, you're, the last thing you're thinking about in a rave is, you know, terrorists coming in yeah. Yeah, and getting killed. Um, that's that's not on the mind, and um, just the terror that would have been in them, uh, just uh, incredible. Uh, but this is, uh, you know, this is strategic, and that's what people have to remember that this is a part of the, if you will, the Islamic plan. Um, this kind of strategy uh, to uh, really bring fear into uh, all of our minds, and uh, you know. I think uh, a reading of Psalm 46 um, is a good one for everybody. The Lord is our strength and our shield, our ever-present help in time of trouble. Yeah. You know, that when it seems like everything's going nuts and bananas, you know, we can rely on God. Right. You know, it tells us to be still and to know that He is God. Um, and it's kind of interesting, but if you read uh, the, 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 the second, what's called the second part, the second book of the Psalms, starting, I think, at 42, Psalm 42. Um, they really have a lot to say with the, uh, about these subjects. Israel's gone through this over and over, this kind of stuff. Israel, too, in these psalms, um, uh, uh, I would ask people to read Psalm 44. But if you read Psalm 44, you're going to see that the psalmist attributes the calamities that are happening to Israel to Yahweh, hmm. meaning God, they know that God can punish them and to de and to deal with them yeah. and and they they understand that 
they understand this. They understand it's happened in their past. And the current writer understands that this, this could very well be happening in their present. Yeah. You but know? the reason they identified it as such was because prophets told them in advance explicitly, this is what you're doing, this is what's going to result. That's right. Bad things can just happen. Yep. Yeah, bad things can just happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we know we know that God is going to wake up Israel. You know, at some point, Israel will be waken up and, and um, you know, and they'll see their spiritual need mm. for, for Yahweh and for the Messiah, yeah. for the strong arm of the Lord, right. you know. Right. Yeah, read Ezekiel 37. Yeah, and so this is all a part of this for sure, you know. So there is a there is a, definitely a spiritual component to it all. But uh, it really was a tr- uh, really sad to read that. Um, you know, I loved what Scott talked about. Um, I saw this in uh, All Israel News by Joel Rosenberg, but Israel paying very, very steep price for a Biden appeasing Iran, giving $6 billion to the terror regime. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hearing Scott talk about that the other day was really uh, just mind-boggling, too. Mm. It's one of those ones where you could read that uh, article by Joel Rosenberg at All Israel News, and we've recommended All Israel News many times on the broadcast. But uh, you would do good to, you know, pay attention um, to what, you know, what's going on in the United States, mm-hmm. you know, and how we can contribute to the madness, yep. so to speak. Yeah, Our elected officials are now a curse to Israel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, um, just unbelievable. So, um, you know, Joel speaks very sober-minded in this article about uh, you know Israel really grieving and paying this this steep price mm-hmm. for these kind of um, economic actions, um, you know that are uh, political actions that are done by Absolutely. the United States. Yep. It, Joel's lived here a long time, and then over the last I think eight or nine years, he's lived in Israel. Right. So um, we've had a chance to meet him, and and that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so uh, really respect Joel Rosenberg a lot. So all Israel news, you might want to check that out too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, just as a quick update for those of you who want to follow this stuff along, um, as far as yesterday, today's the 10th of October at the time of this recording. On the 9th of October at 10 a.m., Israel gave official body counts of the Israelis that had been killed, uh, numbering more than 800, a tenth of which were military. So understanding that as the result of this three days of violence, uh, there has, of course, been Israeli counterattacks that you're going to hear a lot more about, I'm certain. And we'll talk about that as well in a second. Uh, Notes that according to the uh, Palestinian Center for Human Rights, they listed that the casualties as a result of the Israeli airstrikes numbered 256. Now, that was the report by the Gaza Ministry of Health, but the PCHR, if you want to refer to them as such, uh, reported only 60. Why? Because the 200 of those casualties were Hamas leadership and personnel. When, and this has happened before in history, if you look up the Jordanian newspapers that were being released in 1948 and 1949, there was a public exhortation for the citizens that were living in Israel at the time to leave their homes, to leave their land, to leave their property, because a conglomeration of invaders from Egypt, Jordan, Sudan, and Egypt, and others, or I said Egypt and others, 
were going to wipe Israel off the face of the map, and then they could return and take their property. For those of you who know history, know the invasion failed, and now the quote-unquote Palestinian state had to be formed in order to justify them wanting to take back their mistake, just like Hamas called for a ceasefire as soon as the last of the bodies had cooled. Now, what's interesting about this as well is that apart from being just outright deceptive propaganda, the Gaza Ministry of Health in providing the 260 deaths from Israeli airstrikes note the very, I want to say, restrained response on the part of the Israeli Air Force because everyone here, I'm certain, is at least aware enough of Israeli's, Israeli military capability that they could literally wipe Gaza off the face of the map and not even have a issue in their tax break over it. But because Israel was solely invested in the attacks on those who committed the attacks, Hamas leadership and personnel, the 60 individuals who ended up dying alongside Hamas were those who, like those in 1948, were told by their government what? To leave in order to avoid the airstrikes. But the problem is Islam is still a functional ideology in the minds of these people. And according to the Hadith narration, Sahil Bukhari and the Sunnah of Ibn Ashaq, or rather the edited version by Ibn Asham, there are reports that justify collateral damage in jihad warfare. And Hamas is all too familiar with these things. Historically, it took place when Muhammad was going to first start utilizing catapults. And they thought, well, if there's Muslims in the city, we just attack these people without warning from a long distance, how do we know that the stones won't also hit Muslim homes and end Muslim lives? And Muhammad revealed, conveniently, that those who die in the cause of jihad as martyrs are just as much among those who die in the way of jihad as martyrs. Mm -hmm. So in the minds of Hamas, they believe that these people are being given paradise by staying in their homes when the Israeli government is contacting them and saying, leave the building, we're going to bomb it. So these civilian targets are those who willingly chose after being warned, being given leaflets, being given telephone calls. And remember, Israel controls their electricity and water. They have access to their phone lines. They can give these people warnings. They can go into broadcasts and tell people, this address is going to be bombed by the IDF. This would normally encourage people to want to leave the building, but remember, this is coming from the religious group that boasted in their invasion of Persia in the late 7th century, we love death more than you love life, which was quoted very recently in history by women who were fleeing their countries to join ISIS in the early 2000s. So this is the point that's being made. With the grand total of about 80, as of yesterday, the number's risen to almost 900 now as far as terrorists and civilians is concerned. 80 Palestinians killed as of yesterday, and 800 Israelis, 727 of which were civilians, have been taken as a result of this act of unrestrained and unapologetic evil. Now, our response to this, naturally Israel has a right within their bounds as a government, a military, and a sovereign nation to defend their own borders and use military force through the sword. But we wonder, 
how do I respond to this? We encourage, of course, prayer for Israel, but my response, and this is me personally, has been to understand that Islam is not just a problem for the Middle East. Most Muslims, by the way, don't live in the Middle East. The most populous Muslim nation is Indonesia, which is in Central Asia. The fact that there are quote-unquote Muslim people all over the world does not mean that you have Hamas agents all over the world. And like my calling as someone who loves God's Word and loves God's people and wants to build them up in the fear and knowledge of the Word of God, I also love the Muslim people enough to make sure they understand where, when, and how their prophet failed his own standards, let alone mine, when it comes to being a legitimate messenger from God. I bought a Quran. I learned it. I made sure that if I'm going to challenge their claims, to show them this is not a cause worth dying for, let alone killing for, I can show them on their own terms. Mm -hmm. That when they lie and misrepresent their sources, I can go into their history and say that the leaders who lied to you, or the fact that you're lying to me, does not hold weight according to the truth, which we should both care about. And when it comes down to it, my goal isn't to make them ex-Muslims. My goal is to make them followers of Christ, because you need to understand that every single Muslim home is living under the threat of death if they even consider a belief other than Islam. Muhammad was quoted in Sahih al-Bukhari as saying, whoever leaves his Islamic religion, kill him. And teachers of Islamic law and Islamic doctrine today, imams and sheikhs and so forth, that's the titles they go by, would note that if it weren't for the law of apostasy, meaning the death penalty for people who leave Islam, apostasy means to fall away from or depart, there would be no Islam. And so under the fear of death, under the threat of violence, or even at best, ostracization from their communities, they have a choice. If they love God more than their families, like Jesus said would be necessary if you were to truly follow after him, if they love Jesus more than their own lives, which is a very distinct possibility, especially those living in Muslim-majority countries like England and in Africa. Africa's a continent, note that, but the specifically and you said England? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's wild, since that's where mm, you're from. Yes, it is. <laughs> Londonistan. All of this is pointing out someone who, if they come to the Lord on those terms, is going to make a very awesome Christian. I mentioned names like Nabil Qureshi, who's now glorified. I mentioned people like Al-Fadi and Christian Prince, firecrackers hmm. for the Christian faith. Even women like Hatun Tosh have more of a spine in the face of persecution than most Christians in, throughout the entirety of the United States. Hmm. Uh, a Turkish woman uh, who, um, his father is an imam and who uh, lives in London right now, she is currently braving the streets of Londonistan and has been stabbed, hung, uh, had her home invaded, been unjustly thrown in prison by the British government, and it has not slowed her one bit. Mm. But the point being made is this. Now more than ever, the internet is the Achilles heel of Islam because it makes their sources accessible to the average person. And we've talked about this before. That's the good news. The bad news is that as totalitarianism is on the rise and alliances between people who share that ideology, socialists, the left, and of course Muslims, are going to want to put a crackdown on that information and let a lie circle the globe before the truth has even finished putting on its shoes, as they say. It all comes down to our willingness to know the truth, to love the truth, and to share the truth whenever and wherever we have the opportunity to do so. 
If you have questions or would like to um, get further information for ministries that can equip you for ministry to Muslims, I'd be happy to mention them. For, but for right now, we understand and need to understand more that Hamas is not this pariah, that ISIS was not an aberration of a beautiful religion. It was following to the letter the historical example of the founder of Islam, Muhammad ibn Abdullah. Muhammad bin Abdullah, excuse me. Ibn would be daughter. Maybe there'd be a little veiled joke in that, <laughs> but the point being made is this. When we're talking to Muslims, we're not talking to Hamas agents. If they cut the head off a newborn baby, then you might have a hint, but the point being made is that. Deal with these people as if they're human beings who need the gospel, because that's just as true of the Hamas agent as it is of your nice Muslim neighbor, which, by the way, both can exist. But also understand as well, our love for the Jewish people also means that we should desire them to know their Messiah more than any other. And according to the Flash Traffic blog, as a demographic, a percentage of their ethnic group, more Hebrews are coming to a saving relationship with their Messiah than any other ethnic group as a percentage at this time than any other in history. Mm. And we have a promise given to us in the book of Romans that if blindness in part has happened to the Jews and the whole world being blessed to result, how much more their fullness. Yeah, that's a wild promise. Um, uh, well, we've got a couple of questions Ooh. coming in if you guys want to. Okay, take a break. Take, yeah. <laughs> <coughs> um, question from Taylor, which uh, kind of relates, and you guys, you guys touched on it actually as you were talking, but uh, does God's grieving affect us? It's an interesting question because, you know, does does God move in emotional ways? And you, you know, the Bible says that God is the most blessed God, right? The most happy God, I assume, because He's sovereign and He's, you know, in control, as we like to say. So, does He get emotional at all? Does He grieve? Does He get angry? Because He's in control of everything. So, does does God move in emotional ways? Does He then act out of that in emotional ways? He gets upset and angry and grieves, and so He acts out of that? Well, I guess the question is, does God let his emotions lead him to bad decisions? If he was moved yeah. in anger, does that mean that he does it the same way we do? Mm -hmm. uh, this is oftentimes the mistake people make when they say, oh, God's jealous. That means he has envy. <clears throat> That's false. Right. There is a difference between jealousy, a desire for exclusivity, and envy, which is a want for more than you have. Yeah. So the and let me just start with the definition here so that we understand what's being said. The Old and New Testament are both extremely clear that God not only has emotions, but acts on them, but acts on them righteously. So when yeah. we see, for instance, in Jeremiah, that I was moved in my anger towards you and cut you off from the face of the living. When mm -hmm. I drove you out to Babylon, I did so in anger and so forth. Ezekiel also mentions that as well. Uh, when we see Jesus showing the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We read in Hebrews chapter 1 that he was anointed with the spirit of gladness more than that of his companions. He was the happiest guy you'd ever meet. Mm. But he was also, according to Isaiah 53, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And if we believe, we're Christians, that Jesus was the God-man, that he was showcasing God with skin on, his capacity to feel emotions isn't a human characteristic because we see those things in God as well. And we see in the Psalms, for instance, God rejoices over us in singing. That's an expression of joy and emotion of hope fulfilled. Uh, plenty of actions that God does. He's joyous, so he sings. He's angry, so he judges. He's yep. sorrowful, so he weeps. But the idea that, and this is where we have to clarify, um, God being sovereign, therefore he shouldn't have an emotional reaction to anything, 
pretty much gets a monkey wrench thrown into it when you imagine yourself functioning any other way unless you have like a developmental disorder or something because when we talk about you know i've seen this movie a hundred times yet that scene always brings a tear to my eye well you know what's going to happen why does it affect you so much because it hurts i like these characters that's why i've watched it five thousand times right well if god's aware of what's going to happen and still sees it happen anyway is he grieving because it shocks him or is he grieving because he's emotionally invested in what he's seen and there is a difference Mm -hmm. So if we ask the question, does God have emotions? Yes. Does God act in those emotions? Yes. Does God make mistakes because he's misled like by his emotions like we are? No. That's a step too far. Because if you say God misstepped, where and when? And I don't see a single example of that because in the very same chapters where God says, I was moved in my anger, he spends about two-thirds of it saying, Oh, how I could, uh, I desired to take you up as a mother hen as a, gathers up her chicks yeah. in Matthew 23, for instance. Jose is a great book that she Yeah, how can I give up on you? My heart's moved within me. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, great answer. I mean, we're made in the image of God, and, and, and that's very early on in the book of Genesis that we, we learn that. And one of the things that's interesting is being made in the image of God, we uh, have this capacity— you know, to mm. be emotional. Um, yeah. um, but because of the fall, our emotions run amok. Yep. Um, our instincts run, run amok. Mm-hmm. And with God, who is perfect and he is righteous, and all of his just, just, just judgments are right. Um, and this is how, how the Bible speaks of God. Yep. Um, and he also delights. God is a God who delights in he does whatever pleases him. Right. He is a God of pleasure and delight. Um, but it's all, um, it, it, it all is encompassed by a unique quality that the Bible says that God has, and that is he is holy. Mm-hmm. And so when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Mm-hmm. Right? That's not just a, just a song by Iron Maiden, Hallowed Be Thy Name. It's a good one, one of the better ones by Maiden. But it is something that's very important about God, right? God is to be hallowed. He yep. is holy. So all the attributes of God are encompassed in holiness. Yep. So if you can think of it this way, God's justice is holy. God's love is holy. God's jealousy is a holy jealousy. God's righteousness is a holy righteousness. Mm. Holy is before every attribute of the deity. Uh, God is holy. And Jesus was helping us to understand that. We, are, we have an image bearing of God, but it's, it's been very much tainted. So um, we have attributes uh, of our Creator, yep. but right. um, uh, again, they are fallen, and Jesus had, has come to let us know that. Yep. Um, you know, to know that, yeah, you know, um, um, that image bearing that you're supposed to have has been, you know, um, you know, corrupted, right, and Absolutely. spoiled. Yeah. So anyway, I hope that helps you understand that God is, you know, does have emotion. 
you know, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, whichever books you go to, yeah. God is definitely emotional, but it's right. always uh, uh, tempered by His holiness. Right. I like how we're told to, you know, in your anger, do not sin. It's not like, do not be angry. Right. But in your anger, do not sin. So right. the anger itself is an okay emotion. It's, it's hard for humans to, to be... Yeah, you know, righteously angry. Yeah, we are, we <laughs> yeah, are so you're never angered by anything yeah. like what's happening to the Hebrew people right now. There's right. something wrong with you. Right. And, and for instance, uh, people who don't experience those kinds of emotions, they'd be the first to tell you, "I have a defect. Yeah. I want to experience those emotions." Yeah. But that we experience those emotions, how we express and act on them is coming from, as Bo was saying, a fallen nature. Right. If we assume that onto God, that's a category error. Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah, and we should experience pleasure, but if it's not tempered by holiness, if it's not, yep. you know, God is a pleasurable being, but he's holy. Yep. We can experience pleasure, but if it's not, if it doesn't have any holiness to it, then it's reckless, yep. right? And damaging. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. Um, if we have time, let me get to Alex's question, yeah, because definitely. he's been asking for several days now. Thank you, Alex, for sticking around. Um, why was there a legion of demons in one man? Why not just one demon? It only takes one demon to do damage. I'm sure that's, that's right. Uh, what did this man do <laughs> to acquire not one, but a legion of demons? <laughs> What's your thought on this? Uh, yeah. We aren't told what he did to get into that situation, but there was an intent in the language, especially in the Gospel of Mark, but all the synoptic Gospels, in calling this posse of spiritual entities a legion. Now, a legion, for those of you who know Roman history, is a military term. It was used to describe the organization beyond that of a cohort and, of course, a, you know, dio—what was the term for two of them? The uh, dios or something? Anyway, you have uh, centurions who were over a hundred. You had generals who were over the general population. It's not the definition, but you get the idea. The general <laughs> I was like, population. Is that why they come general? <laughs> no, but the idea is that it's a military term. It's militarily yep. organized, and so the organization of these demonic entities is presenting them as a military threat. Now, why is that important? Well, if you understand the Gospel of Mark in particular, not just as the memoirs of Peter, but presenting the life of Jesus as a new exodus, then some of these terms start to stand out a little more. For instance, when Jesus was transfigured, he revealed the glory, the cloud descended, and the Father spoke. Where have we seen that before? When Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders went up to the mountain, the cloud descended, and the Lord spoke, saying, come up to me. And notice the Lord said, come up to the Lord. So that, that's another interesting tidbit. But what's also interesting about this, going back to the Exodus, is where else do we see a legion, through the power of God, getting thrown into the ocean? Well, go to Exodus chapter 15, the Song of Moses, where understand a very interesting language takes place in how they celebrate God delivering them. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Mm. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. What's Jesus' name mean, by the way? God is salvation. Interesting. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army 
he is thrown into the sea. His chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea, and the depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Now, you read through the Gospel accounts recordings of this demonic adversary, this gathering of entities, and they didn't call him a gaggle. They didn't call it a pandemonium. means all demons, by the way. It's a legion. Why? Because in the Roman environment, the readers would have understood so a military force of the enemies of God right. in the purest form, Jesus with the word threw them into the sea. Hmm. Well, they're disembodied spirits. How do you throw ghosts <laughs> into the ocean without it just being, you know, superfluous side detail? Hmm. They were sent into swine and then cast into the sea, which right. can also be an interesting picture of Gentiles and so forth, with which the Egyptians were. But the point being made is that the reason why they say legion isn't because this guy, you know, did some super ritual where he got possessed by all the demons, right? There is an intent in this gathering of spiritual entities, and not one but two men, Luke gives us that further detail. And understanding Jesus' power over them was the same reason why he was allowed to encounter the man who was born blind. Why? So that the glory of God may be shown in him, the Gospel of John tells us. I think it's chapter 9, right? Mm -hmm. We can see him encountering what? The lame men inside the city. Why did he encounter them? Well, remember the Exodus, who made the left, uh, who made the left, who made the deaf, the mute, the seen, or the blind? Did not I, the Lord? his words to Moses. All these things would be identifications of when the Messiah would come, and he even explained that as much to John the Baptist. It's a, excuse me, it's a callback to Exodus, where God overcomes a military force by throwing them into the sea, and that's meant to give you a hint. This is the new Old Testament, if you will. Yeah. Most it, recent Testament. It, it, I want to say that, uh, wasn't Mary, didn't she have that kind of spiritual uh, many demons in her too, I want to say, Luke? Uh, brings that out in uh, the, the Gospel of Luke. Do you mm. guys remember that? Was yeah. it Mary that had seven demons in her? Mary Magdalene. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and seven is the you know kind of this this number that's used quite a bit in the Bible. Yeah, um, completion. We're yeah. almost out of time oh, okay. for today, yeah. but, but maybe we can pick up it tomorrow. Hey, we're out of time. Tomorrow we're going to have Adrian Vavactor as a, a guest. He's out in Egypt. He's going to call in, Lord willing. So join us for that. It's going to be very interesting. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.